Time again for another Word Balloon podcast. How's everybody? This is John Suntress, back from Sensi Comic Con. Man, I have got a ton of content, and I know I always say that, but I really do. So uh, it's going to be a very, very busy uh, mid-September through probably early October because I've got uh, at least a dozen uh, word balloons ready to go and uh, other commitments coming up in uh, the days ahead. So uh, this is what happens right after San Diego. You know, everybody starts uh, getting their big projects going and uh, very thankfully they call me and say, hey, I want to do a new talk. And I'm more than happy to comply. Plus, panels from Cincy Comic Con. So uh, it's uh, it's a good problem to have, and I'm happy to share it with you. We start off today with uh, two great interviews. First up, Joe Henderson, the showrunner of Fox TV's Lucifer. Lucifer comes back next Monday. Uh, I'll give you the times on the uh, interview, but it's great to uh, welcome Lucifer back. Lucy fans were rewarded with a second series, and uh, man, it is a great show. New additions to the show, as uh, Lucifer's new problem is his mother has escaped from hell. Who knew God had a wife? Uh, one of the things among many that we talk about with Joe Henderson, lots of Lucifer talk in part one of Word Balloon. Then we're going to talk to Paul Scanlon. Paul is part of Legion M. I don't know if you've heard about Legion M, but they are a new company that has media projects on the way uh, in television and film and elsewhere. First project, very, very interesting. It involves Stan Lee, so you're going to want to uh, tune in and hear about uh, Paul's story and what Legion M is. It is a, a media company that uh, gets its uh, initial funds from uh, fans who then become investors in the company. But much more than that as well, they are the tastemakers of the company. Uh, looking over submissions and uh, voting on projects, it sounds like a very interesting way to uh, start a geek company, and uh, you could be a part of it. And uh, Paul is on to explain it in part two, along with that very interesting Stan Lee project he's got coming up uh, here on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you today by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you for your crowdfunding support via Patreon. Um, if you're interested in subscribing to Word Balloon, boy, this is a good time because uh, I got lots of content and uh, Patreon uh, subscribers will get access to a lot of this stuff first in the days ahead. So uh, information on becoming a Patreon subscriber, go to wordballoon.com and you can look at the information there. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. If you can spare a dollar a month, for uh, the Word Balloon content, that's great. It's not necessary. Word Balloon is free. But if you want to help the cause out and uh, help me network and uh, reap the dividends of uh, uh, the money that is spent on travel to conventions and updating equipment, uh, it uh, all comes out into the show. And I thank you very much for uh, your time and support, as I always say, at panels and occasionally as well on the podcast. So thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. More information, go to wordballoon.com or patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. Great deals are happening this week at InStock Trades. The Fix is in trade paperback. Volume 1 is available that's uh, Steve Lieber on the art, Nick Spencer on the story, and it is a tremendous uh, story about uh, a heist group. If you enjoyed Superior Foes of Spider-Man, it's that kind of fun in the fix. Volume 1 is 50% off. It's just $4.99. You can get Harley Quinn hardcover, Volume 5, The Joker's Last Laugh, 50% off. That's $12.49. Ed Brisson, Adam Gordon, and Michael Br uh, Garland bring you Violent, Trade Paperback Volume 1. Blood Like Tar, 50% off, just $4.99. There's Wonder Woman Resurrection, Volume 9, 
50% off, $12.49. One of the great surprises leading up to Rebirth was Titans Hunt. As uh, the Teen Titans slowly uh, remember who they are, the original Titans. Even Nark is in there, for God's sake, the caveman. Uh, This is 50% off, $9.99. Just a few of the books that are available at InStockTrades.com this week. Tremendous deals on tremendous books are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Without further ado, I am really happy to uh, have Joe Henderson back on the show. Uh, God, Lucifer, boy, it just seemed like it was a tall order. We saw what happened with Constantine on uh, on network television, on NBC. Uh, Lucifer starts mid-season last year on Fox, 13 episodes, and charms the pants off the... Uh, off the uh, uh, watching community because all of a sudden uh, Lucifer holds enough of X-Files numbers and Gotham's numbers to merit a season two. Season two starts next Monday and uh, a great chance to catch up with uh, a guy who has a lot of experience in uh, USA Today shows like uh, Graceland and White Collar and I think he brings that same sensibility to Lucifer. We talk about that and a lot of different aspects about the cast characters and also the writing process of Lucifer. Here's Joe Henderson on Word Balloon. Really excited to welcome Joe Henderson back to Word Balloon because uh was just pleased that, A, Lucifer was such a great TV show in its first season and literally hit the ground running in ways that, you know, a lot of shows take a shakedown, but further gets renewed. And we're uh, days away from uh, the premiere of season two. So welcome back, Joe. Thank you, man. I'm I'm very excited to be back and to be back with a season two. It's, uh, it's a darn good feeling. You know, the humor is still there. It's a funny, fun procedural, and it has great fantasy elements. And the great thing is, much like Powers season two, Trisha Helfer to the rescue. <laughs> right. Not that it needed rescuing, but it just cracked me up. I'm like, oh, and there's Trisha Helfer as uh, as Satan's mom or as Lucifer's mom. Every so season two probably. should have uh, Trisha Helfer. I think that should be the new rule that they institute on all shows. And I, and I'll risk I'll risk the sexist comment and say in sexy clothing too. But you can't help it. She's like sexy in a burlap sack. If you if you hire Trisha Helfer, you might as well. In the same way that Tom Ellis, if you hire Tom Ellis, you should make sure you, he looks good. It's just it's a true. simple. Uh, don't worry, we uh, we are uh, very even-handed in showing our male and female characters uh, super sexy. So, you know, and uh, you you were you were kind enough to give me access to uh, the premiere, which again uh, starts this coming Monday. So uh, that will be great. Uh, Ten Eastern and Pacific, nine or no nine p.m. Eastern and Pacific, yes. eight p.m. Central. And I don't know about Mountain Time. I don't know about Mountain Time either. I should know these right, things. Sorry, but yeah. So you watched uh, you watched the premiere. I did. And uh, no, great start. And, uh, you know, everyone will be happy because, like I said, no lie, you guys hit the ground running. The the cast clicks and I think the addition of Trisha only opens obviously new opportunities as she interacts with, with you know, Maze and, and uh, Lucifer and the rest of the cast. It, it's awesome. I mean, it, it, it was really tricky because when we first came up with this idea of bringing in Lucifer's mom, if, if for this to work, you need an actress who can – uh, play formidable, play funny, and play sexy because you really need a female version of Tom Ellis. And it turns <laughs> out those are pretty difficult to find because Tom Ellis was pretty difficult to t- find. Uh, and so, I mean, once we got Trisha Helfer, we we knew that we could write towards her strengths even more so. And it's funny because I think people underestimate Trisha a little bit because they see just a very beautiful woman and they forget how much she did on Battlestar Galactica, how funny yep. she can be, like. The, the she can deliver a, a joke. She's she's hilarious on our show, 
uh, and but also kind of terrifying at times. Had you ever worked with her on any of the other shows, you know, in the past? I had not. I did, however, uh, <laughs> the uh, an episode of Suits she was in, uh, my name cameoed in it. I was actually the villain of the piece because someone named the character <laughs> after me. So there's a very funny clip of someone saying my name to her, which I consider almost a collaboration. But, uh, no, this was my first time, and she's awesome. Like, she's just complete pro, loves doing the job, uh, and just brings it. Is this what's the uh, episode order amount for season two? We are thirteen with okay. a question mark. We could be another five. We could be a full twenty-two. We're waiting to hear. Uh, we're in the tricky spot where we uh, we started up early. Um, we started shooting in June, so we're our, we're shooting episode uh, seven right now. So okay. we actually need to hear fairly soon how many more episodes we are. So um, hopefully in the next couple weeks. Fingers crossed, uh, we'll we'll have a definitive answer. But we're assuming more than just the thirteen. Okay, and it, you know, is Gotham is Gotham's first episode the same night as Lucifer? Gotham's the first uh, first episode the same night as us, and then we take a week off, which is not ideal. Why? But oh, man. it's the uh, first presidential debate. Ah, oh, there you go. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Right? I got to talk. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he spoke to, directly to Lucifer and not your Lucifer. I assume it's it. our fault that he's there. So, yeah, let's be honest. If you if you want to be up against anything, that is not the show you want to be up against. Uh, that's true. So that that that's okay. Yeah, yeah that you know people will be focused. But uh, all right, that's fine. Um, you know, again, I'm well. I'm really glad that you're on at the same time. You know, or at least the same night as Gotham. Yeah. Great lead in for season one. X-Files and everything, too. Or was Gotham still... So we, we started off with X-Files, and then we ended up with Gotham. So it was great. Right, we got yeah. that great launch. And then with Gotham, which is like a very similar tone and world, but oh, different yeah. enough that you don't, that you feel like you're eating sort of two different meals back-to-back. Uh, if we were with Gotham for as long as we last, we would be very happy. Well, it's like Gotham is kind of such a heavy... And it's got its humor. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's a bigger cast. Yes. And, it, and Lucifer comes... And, you know, Joe, you maintain that same pace of all those good USA shows that you've worked on before. I like to hear that. Well, it's the truth. And honestly, I wanted to talk about that because obviously that's something that happens, I'm assuming, in the writer's room in terms of, you know, I almost want to sit with a stopwatch because it almost seems like you guys are really just just time management uh, savvy in terms of, not letting a scene go too long, and you know you you keep the audience engaged with not only snappy dialogue but really just story pacing as well. It seems it's funny because uh, very much season two we want to make more about the ensemble and not just Lucifer, and okay. a big challenge of that is you still want to tell your big story, you still want to follow your case, but you also want to let things branch out a bit. So one of the things you end up doing is not rushing through scenes by any means, but there's just a rhythm that you find, and there's a rhythm we found that I agree with you sort of reflects that that USA speed that I I loved. It sort of it, it keeps you moving, it keeps things going, and it's uh, it's one of it's almost like a, a necessary part of the amount of story we want to tell. Um, but having said that, there are it also earns us those moments where we do decide to slow down and just like I just saw in the dailies a scene of just Tom Ellis and Kevin Alejandro just sitting down and talking for three minutes. And what I love is that we're a show that can do both. We can have this, this, this super, uh, back and forth, uh, uh, 
wisecracking dialogue. Sure. Then we can have a conversation about the nature of life and all those other things, and then you can have a guy with angel wings flying around. Yeah. Pretty fun. <laughs> and I always get D.B. Woodside's like uh, character name wrong. Oh, Amenadiel? So Amenadiel, okay. I think Amenadude. That's how we finally got it. <laughs> so that's actually why one of the characters calls him Amenadude later, because that's how we taught ourselves to correctly pronounce his name. Amenadude. <laughs> But uh, picking up on last season, um, you know, obviously Lucifer, Lucifer's wings first stolen, then destroyed. Uh, you know, we we kind of see where uh, DB's st- angel status is since his near death at the end of season one. Yes, yes. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to spoil. But by the same token, yeah, I want to let people know we're picking some of the things. And also, you tell me in terms of you know the various people. So let's start with. Uh, Amena dudes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. See, you got it. <laughs> of of his coming, uh, his his coming story. How much can you tell us about what what's in store for Amenadiel? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things. Season one, Amenadiel was sort of our villain of the piece until yes. about halfway through it, where he became sort of the guy behind the guy. And really, what we were pivoting towards the entire time was we knew Tom and DB had this great chemistry, and but we we wanted to tell the story of their sibling rivalry. But then turn it on its head a bit and let their sibling rivalry live, but within the two of them actually trying to get along. So that's a lot of what season two is, Amenadiel realizing that maybe Lucifer had a point, but still having that tension and that frustration and that sense of, okay, but I'm still, I'm still the kid that does everything you ask for, Dad. So why didn't you send me the message to go get Mom? Why don't you always forgive me for things? And so it, it's a little bit of a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha going on uh, <laughs> in a way that's really fun to play because D.B. Woodside is the least looking Jan Brady you uh, have ever seen. <laughs> but, good, and yeah. so you get this just great dynamic between them. And that's so we're very much picking up on that. And as you've seen in the first episode, we very much have um, something big happen to Amenadiel that will really jumpstart his arc for the entire season. What are you calling Trish's character beyond mom? You know, it's funny. Uh, on the script, it's just mom. <laughs> okay. uh, but her, her name is Charlotte Richards. So. Oh, okay. And that was the woman that uh, she possesses. Yes. So, And we can talk okay. about this because um, what's different about her compared to everyone else is she's, as you saw in the episode uh, – She's just a, a soul looking for an empty sack. So her body sort of her, – her soul sort of pops around trying to find uh, a human form to take the, uh, a recently deceased body. And so she ends up in the body of a woman already named Charlotte Richards. So it's fun because this is – we've played demons on Earth, angels on Earth. We've never played just a soul jump, dumping into someone's body of a life already lived. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that some of that backstory of Charlotte's obviously comes out in that first episode. Yeah, uh, will we see more of that of her of Charlotte's backstory? Oh, did you get the second uh, episode as, too, where they dig into that? Were you? I suppose I did. Yeah, oh, great. I, maybe I. You know, all right. So yeah, I, I guess I did. Yeah, so that's because uh, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I um, you know, and maybe 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 I accidentally watched the second episode instead of the first in terms of um, well, plot and everything because. She shows does does Trisha show up earlier than she shows up in the know, end of the uh, end of the first, first episode. episode. Okay. Oh, then I did. I I jumped ahead. Look at that! Wow. You're, All right. you're, you're, All right. you're 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 a sneak. <laughs> well, that's why. At first, I'm like, 
oh, wait a minute. Did I miss something? Yeah, exactly. Wait a minute. You know, exactly. But I'm like, all right, I'm still going to roll with it. No, it's great. Well, now I'm, well, now I'm very much ahead. So, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and can't wait to see Amenadiel and Mom kind of connect. Yeah, yeah. That, and that will be in the third episode as we'll see the two of them get together. So, cool. So, yeah, so this is great, though. you got to see Trisha just completely kicking ass. And that's what I think <laughs> is – like. it's funny because I thought you'd only gotten the first episode. I was kind of bummed about that because the first episode I, I, I love because we're setting up all the pieces – but the second episode is where you really get to see Trisha just just do what – like it's funny. We wrote this episode and we're like, if we don't get someone who can do this, we're screwed. Yeah. And she just elevated everything. It's it's awesome. Yeah, she's like sexy anti-mame. You know, if I could put an old reference <laughs> to like it. it. But she really is. It's like she's like this like whirlwind that comes in as she should, as that kind of character should, and disrupt everything. I love – Tom's reactions to Trisha. Right. Because it is this like, yeah, mom, can you get your body out of my face? Kind of like, <laughs> and it is, it's like embarrassing. And there's, there's a very low kind of edible undertone because it's like, all right, I know it's my mom, but it's not my mom. And this is really very icky. And can you like, all right, back off. And it's hilarious. It really does. It plays really, really funny. And like you say, when she needs to be a badass, no, she, and again, she's, I don't know how tall she is, but I know she is like, you know, she's got like an Amazon build and yeah. everything. No, she's she is a little shorter than Tom, which is perfect. So right. they, they're like they're almost at eye level. They're almost they're very much equals. When you put them in the room together, you feel that that sense that this is somewhere. And she has a similar energy to Tom, I guess. That's what really helps. Oh, definitely. Her. Oh, yeah. And that's why, you know, that's that anti-man kind of when the humor has to be cracking. And Tom can cut everyone down. Here's someone he can't cut down, even though he's slightly taller than her, which is fantastic. Well, and that's my thing is whenever whenever Lucifer is uncomfortable around someone, whenever he's uh, sort of out of sorts, that's that's when he's most human. And so bringing Absolutely. a character that makes him so incredibly uncomfortable and so unsettled is just the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and in the first season, obviously, you had that with with Chloe and Dad's kid. Exactly, Trixie, Trixie right? Yeah, yeah, Trixie, of course. Yeah, yes. And she, man, we talked about her last time. She is so good. She's amazing. She really is, man. Yeah, we want to so, do an episode where it's just Trixie and Lucifer like driving around solving crimes, but we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but she's <laughs> no, so good. I get it. She's funny and charming, and uh, yeah, I mean, really, the, the the lucky thing for us is this season we we've been trying to lean on our entire cast because like we've got these incredibly talented people like Lauren German can give you so much just emotional oomph. Rachel Harris, like, I mean, everyone knows she's funny, but the, the dramatic range she has is something that we're really trying to show a little bit more of. Uh, Leslie Ann, I think has really settled into the maze character and is just delivering such great stuff. And she has been crazy working out and like, learning this fight choreography that just stands out where if you watch any of the fight scenes coming up with her in them, that's it's her. Fantastic. And then Kevin Alejandro uh, is going to break your heart in a couple episodes. So, Oh, okay. Very good. Excellent. No, really, man. I loved uh, Lauren and Kevin's whole trying to repair their relationship dynamic. The corrupt cop storyline of, of uh, season one was, was really good. Uh, you know, that's the thing. And also Rachel and DB, the way that he just kind of literally slid into the office next door, posing as an analyst and stuff. And uh, again, seeing seeing the second episode, uh, you know, a lot of that comes out in season or in episode one. Yeah. In terms of the betrayal that she feels 
uh, to Amenadiel and everything. Yeah, we so, really wanted no. to make sure that we weren't skipping over the elements of the supporting characters because as we go on, the supporting characters become more and more crucial to the show. I think like any season two, sure. season one is all about your hero, and in season two, you really get to dig into the world. It becomes... Lucifer is still incredibly important, but now, you know, like, as we get to know these characters, we fall in love with them. We want to learn more about them as well. Sure. Dude, I'm, uh, I, it's so funny because it's like, it's this story about the devil. And the devil should be charming and seductive because that's how he corrupts souls. And, but it's like, this is such a fun story. I wonder, and I don't want to dwell on the bad stuff, but, like, well, I guess second season has – well, this is actually questions based on the first season Either and more of what I watched. But I, don't know, I was wondering, like, are you getting – are you still getting backlash from religious quarters? Is it slowed down? South Park, after a while, it's kind of like a snowball fight. Yeah. And when the guy's, like, getting pelted and it's like the 15th snowball, they're like, all right, we just give up. <laughs> and they kind of roll over and the kids get, like, three more shots before they walk away, you know, meaning you guys. Yeah. So is it – how, how, how are things going on the religious front? I, I think they've pretty much moved on to shinier uh, uh, objects <laughs> to hate. Uh, but it's funny. Like, I was traveling um, for uh, – we did this uh, uh, thing in Atlanta for the show. And while I was traveling, I ran into a ticket uh, taker. And she's like, what do you work on? This, like, 60-year-old woman, very nice looking. And she's like – I told her I worked on Lucifer. And she's like, oh, I'm, I, I'm one episode behind. Uh, I haven't missed the finale yet, have I? And I was like, oh, that's that's amazing. That's so cool. And then literally 10 minutes later, I was talking to some woman uh, uh, buying a sandwich. And I was like, I, I was, now I'm like in the mood to just see what people think. I'm like, I work on a show called Lucifer. She's like, yeah, I'm not watching that. <laughs> and it was there just like, I, I refuse on very concept. And I, I I was like, well, you know, we're actually a show very much about redemption and faith and all these other things. And she's like, it's called Lucifer. No, I'm out. Sure. Well, that's the thing, um, because now Morningstar's uh, mission is being sanctioned by God to stop mom. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happened in the first season. So that's kind of interesting and also further complicates what you guys were dealing with last year in terms of, you know, which path Lucifer is choosing, as you say in that pre pre uh, in the credits before the story really picks up. You know, he's on vacation. Mm hmm. And and maybe that tone is. Are you gonna are you gonna keep rolling that at the beginning of the show? We're or? not. That was only we did that for the first I think seven episodes of season one, just because I think people we wanted people to get a sense of this is the show. And I think what that that opening crawl sure. did so well is it said this is a show about the devil, but he's on vacation, so it's okay to have a little fun. I think yeah. I think now people know that's what the show is, and so we don't have it anymore. But I, that's what I loved about that shorthand. It was like it's. It's going to be occasionally dark. It's going to be occasionally weird, but it'll also be funny. And, but most importantly, I think the thing that we've leaned into so much is it's also going to be really human. Like all of our yes. scenes are about this dude struggling with responsibility, with his emotions, with his sense of who am I and where am I going. And that as long as we continue digging into that, I think we have a show that is able to say something. And if you don't have a, if you're not saying something, then why, why waste your time? Sure. And speaking of not having to waste your time, the benefit of having just 13 episodes. Think of, I mean, honestly, it's so weird that for decades we were really like any show that was, I mean, God, you go back to the old days, 30 episodes a season, oh my God. 25 episodes a season. And now pretty much, you know, standard network shows are 20 to, to 25 episodes a season. But it's, 
it's you know again you came from that uh usa background of 13 episodes a season season one for lucifer was 13 episodes and certainly you want as many as you know the network wants you to have but by the same token it really was able to keep things focused on not only the procedural of the week but really to keep the the big mythology in place and there were nothing seemed like a filler episode that is really nice to hear and that was a big push on our part like like you said like with 13 episodes, you can tell an entire story. Once you start getting to the, the bigger ones, it becomes a lot harder. I mean, sure. Alias, I think, is one of the few shows that oh, those first two seasons, yes, every, every episode counted, everyone worked. I don't know how they did that, but they did it. Uh, that's very much what we tried to do here and what we're still doing. Uh, it was very nice because I talked to Tom, and he was reading the first, I think he was on episode six. He's like, every single one of our episodes has a case of the week. But I don't feel like every episode has a case of the week. And I was like, right. great, that means we're succeeding. Because that's <laughs> the goal. Is the, the case is just the spine. The case is sure. what lets us take the devil through a different section of humanity, of Los Angeles, of our own desires and fears. But really, we're just telling the story of these characters. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely, man. And that's the that, – but that, again, like to be able to do that with 13 episodes, especially in a season one when you're finding that voice – I, I don't know how anyone does a season one of 22 episodes because when we got to the end of season one, we were all ready to just lay down and nap for a month. <laughs> I understand. So, yeah, how quickly did you come up with the path for season two? Well, it's funny because we, uh, we had originally had a safer ending to season one, and we'd been talking about this whole mom thing, but we thought for sure they would just blow that up. They, there was no way they'd let us do something that crazy. And then at the end, they're like, hey, you know, we want to do a cliffhanger. And I, I desperately want to do a cliffhanger, but like, I love cliffhanger. I love a cliffhanger that at the end of the season wraps everything up but tells you where you're going. Right. And there had been some sort of pushback, like, uh, I don't know if you should do a cliffhanger. We don't know, we're not sure if there's a cliffhanger show. And then they came back, and they're like, all right, if you guys have a cliffhanger, we'd really like to hear it because we feel like this could be the kind of show that could do that really well. And so actually pitched, we pitched two versions uh, one was a different story, which we'll get to at some point, which was more of a, a, a turn and a twist. And then we had this one, which is our big, crazy idea, which we didn't necessarily have an answer for. We didn't know exactly who mom was. We just knew the template. We knew what that energy would feel like. We knew what, how disruptive that would be. But I would be lying if I told you we had uh, more than 10% of it figured out, which to okay. me is the fun of TV. Like Vince Gilligan always talks about how uh, when he painted himself into a corner too much on Breaking Bad season two, it handcuffed him. And it's actually his least favorite season because they did all those flash forwards and everything. And they realized that by the time they got to maybe this isn't the path we want to take, it, it's too bad. Because you're on that path. You're stuck on that path. Whereas, like, in a future season, if you decide, hey, you know what, this bad guy, I think you should die this episode, even though he's supposed to be our big bad. You can kill him off and then bring in Gustav Fring in their case. Uh, and in our case, it was like, all right, we know we've got story potential in this. We know we can do something with it. And then we spent um, the beginning of season two talking about what mom could be that could bring the most dynamic out of all of them. Like, you know, Maze was mom's torturer in hell. If, uh, if Lucifer doesn't take after dad, does he take after mom? If Amenadiel is dad's favorite, how does he stand with mom? Uh, you get you just like sort of slush list all the potential, and you start picking out. Okay, if these are all the best versions 
for the characters that are part of our cast, who is this character we're bringing in? So, I get you. So, and that was that was fun. It was tough, but uh, but it was fun. And then the biggest thing is, there really is no historical significance for God's wife. Like, yeah, I know when it was announced at the end, the last episode, it's like, well, yeah, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, and it, it really <laughs> it came out of like, yeah, good, because <laughs> it came out of this brainstorming in the room where. The way we approach the show and the way that I think makes it relatable is we don't talk about God and angels as much as we talk about family. It's, it's dad, it's sons, yeah. it's sisters and brothers, and we will, we will meet sisters at some point. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, Interesting. Uh, but, well, as we talked about, we're like, well, in a tra- in, you know, if you're talking about the traditional nuclear family, where's the mom? And it was like, well, there isn't a mom. Of course, dad is divine. But then it's like, well unless he isn't like this is our opportunity to sort of pave a different path. And we really sort of dug that idea of being able to tell a a sort of hidden piece of history, something that you and I never knew that allowed us to, you know, sort of step away from the comics and the source material as well as the Bible and start walking our own path a little bit. Does that give uh, – because she's referred to as the mother of all creation, does that give you guys the opportunity too to maybe tap into uh, less conventional modern religion and think more also about past mythologies where you do have Zeus and Juno and you know uh, Hera and uh, – I'm trying to think of uh, Odin's wife, Freya. Exactly. Like, you know. I mean it, it, it's def- that was definitely a big part of the conversation when it came to the energy she should bring. Like, what are the templates of past god and goddess pairings, and how do you play with that? Uh, that was that was a huge part. And honestly, the, the biggest part of the conversation is we've established that Lucifer's mom is in hell. How do we not make the feminine energy of god and goddess evil? Because it shouldn't be male is good, female is bad. And sure. that's a really easy trap to fall into when you're setting up from there. So the better question is, why did mom and dad have a fight? Right. And then and what was it about? And why did he kick her out of the house? Right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. And that's so that's actually the the, uh, the first episode that you haven't seen. Uh, Lucifer sort of sits down with Dr. Linda and he sort of tells a, a, a fairy tale. She says, once upon a time, uh, a boy met a girl. They fell in love and they had sex, except they weren't just a boy and girl. They were celestial beings. And so that moment of sex created the universe. That was the Big Bang. And then you get a good sex joke in there for that. So, yeah. Literally. Right? Exactly. Very good. So that's we're sort of telling our own creation myth within that. And so they had the angels, and the angels were their children. But then then God started uh, tinkering in the garage on a little project that he called Humanity. And Mom didn't like that, and the kids didn't like that because suddenly Dad was being neglectful. And so that was sort of that's sort of our origin myth told taking our, our story of these big colossal celestial beings told in a way that hopefully we can understand because you know we get a, a guy having a bunch of kids and then playing his Xbox a little too much you know like what is sure what is that if you're God and by the way who's to say that he was playing the Xbox too much or doing something else that he thought was very important. So many of us uh, writers who don't see our families very much, very much identified with this story. <laughs> We're trying to make a TV show. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, let's, you know, and shame on me because we really haven't talked much about 
what uh, Chloe is going to be doing. And Lauren really is such a great actress. Awesome. And their chemistry is – yeah, it's it's great. So what – without spoiling, can you tell us about what Chloe has, uh, Chloe has to deal well, with? Well, so in the very first episode, um, what happens is we pay off the end of the, the finale, which is she saw Lucifer get shot right in the stomach. and Right. That's such a big thing. And we've played this will she learn, won't she learn. And so we decided to really run at it. And so the f- premiere is about – about the the repercussions of that because uh, Lucifer was shot and he bled. Well, she took a blood sample. So she's got this blood sample and she's asking herself, should I run this? Should I test it? What will come of it? What will I find out? Do I want to know this answer? Will this answer freak me out? And so that is her entire drive. And uh, I think we found a new way to sort of uh, play with that toy of who is this guy? Is he the devil or is he a crazy person? working with me. Uh, and then moving forward, it's really that relationship between the two of them that the, the way they're learning from each other, like what I love about it is she's such an old soul and he's literally an old soul, but with the youngest Peter Pan esque personality ever. So the two of them just learning from each other while they go on their cases and experience what they're experiencing. That's, that's the fun of it. And she just, she grounds him in such a nice way and enforces him into an uncomfortable um, emotional state that um, is just fun to fun to write. Well, and she, much like a Dana Scully, and I rewatching a bunch of the first season episodes to prepare for our talk. She's always looking for the truth, and there's mm-hmm. that great scene. I think it was in episode six where Trixie ate uh, her birthday cake and faces. <laughs> Just covered in chocolate. And she's like, you know, Trixie, did you eat it? And it's no. And I mean, it's so great because literally it's like <laughs> classic kid. I mean, the, you know, the, right. the evidence is right there. And, uh, and you know, Dan is able to come in and just, you know, unfortunately best her at getting the getting to the truth. And he's like, what's the big deal? And she's like, no, the big deal is she lied. And that's the thing. And she is and she is constantly in pursuit of the truth, whether she's dealing with her police cases or Lucifer or her kid. Yes. That's what she's looking for. Yeah. And our challenge in the show is, is the balance of a character who is a detective always looking for the truth, walking with a guy who blatantly to her face claims to be the devil. <laughs> and that's sort of that was the fun of the first half of season one. And the last thing we wanted to do is just repeat that. Uh, sure, exactly. And so yeah. uh, I'm very curious uh, to see what you think when you watch that episode because I think we found a, a cool sort of middle ground in it all. Okay. And yeah, like you said, obviously then Dan and her have some, you know, Dan's going to find a new way to disappoint her probably in the cast. <laughs> oh, so poor Dan. We, we, uh, we refer to season one as the torture of Dan Espinosa because like <laughs> in the back half, all it is is like revealing Dan – did this terrible thing, torturing Dan. Dan escapes to save Lucifer, and Lucifer's already saved himself. And then he, it looks like he's it, – it just it's like constant like uh, torturing that character, which, you know, that's the fun of it is when you care about a character, when you torture them, you care about them a little bit more. It's sort of what Bendis always said about Daredevil. If Daredevil had a happy day, you wouldn't care. You need to, you need to put your character through the motions over and over again. And as much as we like to torture our main ones, I think Dan is for some reason – the one who takes it the best. And I think part of that's Kevin Alejandro just sells uh, a vulnerability to that character. Well, and also he's still, like you said, he comes off likable. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is he could so easily be, in fact, you know, as, as Lucifer calls him detective douche and everything, you know, it's like, 
Well, no, it, he's you like him. Yeah. You do like him. And I mean, that's the thing. And I got I, I think of like uh, James Keach in uh, Wildcats, the Goldie Hawn movie, where he's like the asshole yes. dad, you know, and stuff. And yeah, Dan could have been like that. But no, it's like. Dan's all right. Dan's a, Dan's a decent guy. And of course he doesn't like Lucifer because he's trying to get back with his wife. And here's this great-looking, charismatic guy that's always hanging around his wife and far too into her personal life. And uh, even more in that back in that episode six with the chocolate cake, it's like, hey, keep the kid away from Lucifer. I don't want him in, you know, back off. It's funny you say that because the biggest part of the show, and I think in most shows in general, is making sure that everyone's the hero of their own story. And Absolutely. One of the big things that we brought uh, with that with mom is making sure that she's not our villain of the season. And I think in two, you see that we very much don't go that direction while still keeping a sense of she's our antagonist. She is the one who's going to come and throw Lucifer's entire world upside down, but she has her own wants, her own needs, and they're relatable. They're very human um, despite our crazy world. And that's, that was a big thing when we approached Dan, like how do we not make him just, the asshole ex-husband that I've seen a thousand times on a thousand shows. Exactly. How do we make him yep. a good guy in his own right? That if we were watching his show, we'd be going, who the fuck is this Lucifer guy? Sure. Absolutely. No, there you go. And yeah, and, but but all that said about mom, she obviously still has an agenda. Yes. And that's very clear as the second episode closes and stuff. So now good stuff, man. It looks, it, it looks great. And again, man, I'm so pleased because I almost wondered, it seems like a lot of times – You'll have a cast member for a season and then you move on. You know, that happens all the time in FX, mm-hmm. happens a lot in cable and stuff, or uh, well, you know, or pay cable. Um, and I was worried that Rachel wasn't going to be around for second season. She is, and we talked about this last year as well. She's another one of your secret weapons. 100%. She's just so great. And we've got, we've got an episode coming up with her that um, changes the relationship between her and Lucifer uh, irrevocably. So um, I'll, I'll be super teasy like that, but. Okay. Um, there's just we, we really found a way to sort of fur- push their relationship further, and really this. I mean, I love that I work on a show that has therapy scenes. Like, how much fun is it to be able to write, you know, demon battles, and then a guy sitting across from a woman talking about what something means to him? Like, and the the reason you are we're all willing to watch that is because you have Tom Ellis and Rachel Harris. Um, because they bring so much to those scenes and because it's fun to watch two actors of that caliber talk to each other and dig into the, the, the emotions there. Yeah, it was, I mean, literally Gandolfini and Lorraine Bracco on The Sopranos is the last really good running Well, I feel like, I feel like they killed of. it. I feel like after that, everyone was like, you can't do this anymore because you can't beat that. Interesting. And so, and I know that because, like, well, actually, I should say, is a couple of people tried to do it after that. They tried to, like, follow in the footsteps. And all they did was get compared to The Sopranos because you can't beat that. And then eventually it almost became like Salted Earth, where it's like, sure, well, you sure. can't have anyone sit down with a therapist because all anyone's going to think is that. And I think we, we found just the right length of time to come back to that, just long enough where no one had really done it in a little bit. And obviously with a with a very different hook as well that makes it feel of its own. But it, it was funny because I, I feel like for five years you just you couldn't go there. No, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And also, again, different actors, different energy, different styles. So while the dynamic is similar, it is different because of the performers and the characters. Yeah. And and I and I completely understand. But with that in mind, because it is Man, you are in the eye of the storm 
in terms of the ever-changing uh, television world, whether it's video streaming, cable, network, oh, yeah. syndication. And yeah, I mean that's the thing because literally, conceivably, you are competing now with uh, Sopranos reruns. I was listening yeah. to Mark Maron's podcast today. And he's like, oh, you know, and it's so funny because good timing that we're talking about the Gandolfini Bracco dynamic. And he's like, oh man, I, you know, I got HBO Go and I'm watching The Sopranos because I miss it. So you're not. I mean, there's always been reruns, but the amount of reruns and the amount of video options now really. I mean, God, I feel it in radio. Oh, we are just yeah. in competition with so many other options, and you know, is because again, you you had that USA background with uh, White Collar and Graceland and, and shows like that. Um, how has it been now that you're going into this second season? I mean, obviously everything worked, and certainly they greenlit the second season for you at Fox. But yeah, in terms of like working with the network and also, again, the environment of the competition today, you know, tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating because the only thing you can do, because you're right, like we are now competing with every show that's ever been aired. Yeah, like it's not what's on Mondays at nine eight central. Uh, it's what is on anyone's Hulu, Netflix, all those things. And the yep. the honest answer, which is sort of the shitty answer, is you just try to make a really good show that sure. um, that people can watch, and hopefully that people will be watching in ten years, competing with whatever shows come up. But it's tough. Like it's it's funny because you can make a really good show and just get lost in the shuffle. And not get picked up. And that was our big fear uh, last January is we were proud of our show. We really liked it. But would people find it? And also is the appetite there? Because sometimes a show comes along and just it's not the right time for it. And I think what's nice about this is there's not a lot of shows that are doing sort of a little bit of everything. Like we're we're like I I think we're funnier than anyone expected. And we're actually, to your point, we're sort of like a, a dark, weird USA show. Like, Agreed. And those aren't on anymore. The dark, weird ones? Well, just, US, USA? just USA shows. I mean, USA shows are different now. Like, now it's, I mean, Suits is the only one still going. Otherwise, it's Mr. Robot and things like that, which are great. True. But True. that brand is gone. And so what we sort of did is bring it back but add uh, an edge and a darkness to it and a supernatural element. But really – we're telling a kind of story that I personally loved watching. Like I loved working on white collar because I loved watching that kind of show. Similar to this, I love watching something that makes me laugh and makes me think. I mean, that's, that's what Buffy did. Like that's what was so Absolutely. fun about that show is you got a little bit of everything from every episode. No. And I agree. And I, and I, and I think you do have that good Whedon Buffy angel kind of dynamic as far as the action and also the humor and the supernatural and and again, that's why I said with with the way you guys are writing, it's got that USA fun pace and and snappy dialogue. Great, uh, great guest cast, man. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, and I'm so sorry that he's back and that that he's having personal problems because again, I rewatched the Tom Sizemore episode when he's, so when he's the good. biker dude, and that's the thing, man. The guy's got two goddamn scenes, and he totally kills. He's fantastic, and it's oh my, honestly, I, I really do. I, I am. I'm like, God, I, I hope he gets his I life know. together because it's so good. If you can do that much with that little, that just tells you how good of an actor he is. And it is a shame yeah. that he's having troubles because, I mean, he was nothing but a professional for us. And it's funny because at the beginning of the season, like, when you make a list of the characters you want to bring back, and he was one of them. And through nothing having to do with what was going on with him, we just couldn't find a way to <laughs> bring that character back. But 
that's how much we that's how much how, how fun it is just to watch him act. And yes, you know, we were, we got we got Jim Rash to come on, we got Al Madrigal. Uh Yes, yes. Uh I can't think of his name, the guy who played uh Kevin Rankin was fantastic for us who played Malcolm. I think we talked about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, we talked yeah, we talked about him last year. I oh, think. All right. God, cool. he was good. And then, you know, Trisha coming on was just an absolute gift. Uh and I'm trying to think of uh Oh, and then we got Michael Imperioli. Oh, I totally forgot about Michael Speaking Imperioli. Speaking of That's Sopranos. Fantastic. Yes, exactly. Jesus. And it's great That's because you like as you start to build out this <laughs> world of the angels and these brothers and sisters like he has such a different energy from DB and Tom, and it really just gives you a sense of God. What's the next one going to be like? <laughs> That's really true, man. That's a hey. I know Matheson, uh, Tim Matheson, uh, you know oh, yeah. from uh, Animal House. Well, I know you know, but I'm just like letting <laughs> oh, people yeah. know. Uh, you know Van Wilder's dad for some younger nice. listeners and stuff. You know, I mean, just the the consummate uh, lead and character actor. Uh, he directed for you. Will he come on and act? You know, it's a good question. If I, I would love to, man, I would love to do that. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. It's that weird game of if I, if we find the right role. Like right now, I'm trying to get all of the actors from White Collar to come back in various oh, degrees. But it becomes that weird game. Like it's funny because Willie, Gar- Willie Garson and I always tweet back at each other where he's like, "Well, I guess I'm still not on your show." And the, the answer <laughs> is, I need a Willie. I need the right role for him. You know, like. Sure. But man, I would love to get Tim on. I mean, he's just awesome. He he uh, acted on the uh, white collar episode that he directed for us, season two, and he was just fantastic. Excellent. And uh, shame on me too. Uh, Chloe's mom, played by Rebecca De Mornay, and I love her character's backstory as a you know former horror queen, vampire, oh. convention going celeb, and certainly coming out of convention season. I mean, I'm just back from Cincinnati. Uh, oh coming. man. So yeah, that was cracking me up rewatching that, and I'm like, oh yeah, she was great. Well, she will be back. We were uh, big fans of her. I so <laughs> I kind of figured, right? She, she really, she made no, yeah, she made a great impact, absolutely. And that's the cool thing. It is so great, and again, it, uh, stemming from your experiences with the USA shows, it's just this great opportunity to really, you know, cherry pick some excellent actors who, you know, are still great actors, but. They reach that age. God, you know, William Peterson is an acquaintance. And before he got CSI and he did uh, Fear with Mark Wahlberg and uh, Reese Witherspoon. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Why are you the dad? You're the one that's supposed to get the girl. And he was (laughs) laughing. And he's like, hey, man, you you know, you reach a certain age. It's certainly worse for women. Yes. But yet you reach a certain age. And it's like, no, you're not the ingenue anymore. And you're not the young leading man anymore. So you got to slip into these character roles. And the great thing is. There are writers like your staff and the other staffs that you've been involved with that can come in and give these people great showcase roles. And suddenly you're reminded, it's like, oh, no, you know, actually, these guys are really good. I mean, Casper Van Dien, when he was on uh, Monk, and, you know, I think it was, was it Casper? I, I think I'm saying his name, right? Starship yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, oh, no, that's that. He's actually, actually good. good, yeah. You know, it's like, it's good to see him again and everything. Well, and that's the thing, and it happens so many times on shows like yours. Well, it's funny because we, uh, I think, I think that since we have that element of comedy, actors like coming out, like we just got Robert Picardo uh, to Fantastic. come on for an episode, and obviously he's awesome. Uh, Charisma yeah. Carpenter came on. Like, you get these actors Wonderful. who just want to do a couple scenes where they get to, you know, be funny or be weird or play against type. And, uh, and I mean, like Jim Rash, uh, we got him just because he read the script and thought it was funny. Like, <laughs> like that's really cool. And that's 
what we try to keep doing is, uh, you know, we're, we're not just a show where a body drops and people very seriously figure it out. We're a show that explores humanity and tells dick jokes. That's, <laughs> that's the serious bar that we, uh, that we have achieved. So, and occasionally angels fight angels. I understand. And also Tom occasionally sings. And, Tom, he, and, and that is, is that really Tom singing? That is really and, Tom and, singing. Oh, that's right. You haven't seen the, in the premiere, he sings again. So. Oh, great. Cause yeah, I was, again, I watched like the second half of the season again and yeah, trouble man. I'm like, God damn man, he's good. Oh. And I'm like, I got to ask him like, now can he play the piano? He can play a little bit. He does not play as okay. much as it appears to be through well, the sure. magic of television. <laughs> but uh, no, he can play a little bit. And it, it's funny cause I went to the recording session, this one for the song in 201 and I mean, it, you're just listening to it, and you're like, you could play this without futzing at all. And by the way, we barely futzed it, uh, and it would work because he's just—he's annoyingly good. Oh, that's excellent. Well, you know, as he gets older, should he should he choose to pursue the convention route, he could be like James Darren. And who was James Darren? <laughs> James Darren was uh, Vic uh, Fontaine on Deep Space Nine. Oh wow! And, and also was in the yeah. Well, you know, his character. He was from the time tunnel in the 60s, and he was Gidget's boyfriend in the 60s, and was uh, T.J. Hooker's partner with Shatner. Oh, wow. And then he does Deep Space Nine, and yeah, he, I, I guess he always could sing. And in fact, he did, because I think he even maybe sang the Gidget theme song with Sally Field. I'm not sure for the Sally Field wow. show. But he, Vic Fontaine was this like hologram character that was supposed to be like a Rat Pack era uh, singer, and he just That's does the right. the Great American song about, songbook, oh, yeah. and now on conventions, yeah, and now on conventions, it's like, yeah, Jim's gonna is gonna talk about doing Time Tunnel and Deep Space Nine, and come back tonight because he'll sing a bunch of songs from the Great American <laughs> Songbook, and he can do it. Not- and the same with Tom, obviously, like I said with Trouble Man, I don't even want to know what this song is for Monday, and I'm sure like the, that'll give the the listeners a, something else to look forward to uh, in the Monday when the when the season premieres. I think they so will be cool. very happy, dude. Congratulations, continued success. Monday, the season two begins for Lucifer. Again, 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, 8 p.m. Central uh, on Fox. And uh, way to go, Joe Henderson. Keep it up. Thank you, man. Thank you for uh, all the support. So everyone, check it out. Watch it. That's Joe Henderson. Great conversation. And uh, I'm telling you, I like Lucifer a lot. I would not be talking about it as much. I would, oh, that's great. Good luck. But uh, the good news is it doesn't need my help. Lucifer is a hit. And I'm very happy that uh, Joe is a Bendis board friend that made good and is kicking ass in television and still wants to talk about it here on Word Balloon. So uh, really looking forward to uh, Season 2 getting started, and uh, you guys can catch up on what I've already seen of Lucifer. It's fantastic. Now we switch up to media talk of a different kind, and that's this new media company called Legion M. Uh, We'll tell you about the website and uh, the particulars, but this is a geek company that uh, has uh, raised an initial nice chunk of change to get into uh, the geek industry. They want to uh, produce television shows, movies, subjects like that, and uh, you will hear about uh, the uh, process of becoming part of Legion M from one of its main partners, and that's Paul Scanlon. So we're happy to welcome him now to Word Balloon. Happy to welcome Paul Scanlon, the co-founder and CEO of Legion M, a very interesting company that uh, is uh, trying to make itself known in the the geek community. It's a pleasure, Paul. Welcome to Word Balloon. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure as well, especially with the fellow Chicagoan. Love it. Yeah, we were just talking off the air. We were swapping uh, Chicago stories. Very cool, man. 
So, so tell me about Legion M. This is a, I mean, we've seen crowdfunding for specific projects, yep. And this is crowdfunding uh, of a different sort. Tell us about Legion M. Yeah, we like to think of it as being kind of like next level. You know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, all these things have been great platforms for creators and entrepreneurs to get their ideas out there and get, you know, people rallied around them and and get the support from, you know. Uh, their fans or, you know, people that just like their idea or are interested and want to support it. Um, but starting this year, the SEC has finally updated the securities laws so that you can do what, what's now called equity crowdfunding. Uh, so th- for the first time in history, you can go out and allow fans and the general public to participate and support you but also to participate in any upside that might come from it. So instead of getting a T-shirt or a coffee mug or something like that and, you know, the bragging right that you helped support something, in our case, you can get that bragging right, but you also get to participate. So you own shares. Our, you know, Legion M is the world's first fan-owned entertainment company. So we are, from day one, uh, we are fan-owned. We just uh, completed our uh, record-setting um, seed finance round, which was massively oversubscribed. We have now over 3,000 co-owners uh, that are supporting us, and you know they own equity just like we do and our partners do. And together, uh, we're going to create some kick-ass content. So you're looking, as it says on your on your fact uh, page to uh, work with top-tier Hollywood talent to create movies, TV shows, other entertainment experiences. Um, are there projects already in the works? Yeah, so we've, you know, we've already got several you know, top proven talents uh, from Hollywood that are kind of uh, joined in and are part of what we call our, our, our creative advisory board. Uh, so we've got uh, Seth Green and the team behind Robot Chicken, the uh, mm-hmm. Stupid Buddy Studios. They're one of our partners. They were actually one of our first partners, and we absolutely love those guys. I mean, we we want to surround ourselves with you know smart innovators in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. We've got uh, Alamo Draft House. I don't know if you're familiar with Alamo, but I am. But tell the listeners. Yeah, please. they are uh, the most forward-thinking group in the theatrical like and distribution uh for moviegoers they they put fans at the center of that experience their theaters they now have 31 theater chains across the US and are um the fastest growing theater chain uh and have done some um really nice tie-ups with the other distribution channels we like them because they're really uh thoughtful in their approach to um, curating content and finding and discovering uh, new talents. In fact, uh, we came, we we were somewhat connected to them, but it was uh, Guillermo del Toro, one of our idols, who uh, who directed us and gave us uh, the very wise advice to go tie up and and work with Alamo and uh, the rest is history. And then we've got Forty Two Entertainment and uh, Meltdown. Uh, Meltdown Entertainment out of uh, out of uh, Los Angeles is, you know, probably the the epicenter of nerd and geek culture uh, in on the West Coast. Meltdown Comics and yep. uh, the comedy podcasts that happen there, and their 
alt comedy stage as well. Yeah, they they are great. I mean, we just love being associated with them, and you know, there's there it's just swirling with with cool, interesting people and um, and projects. And I see on the website too, you're you're also taking submissions as well. Yeah, so we are we're setting up our platform for uh, ingesting submissions right now. So what we're asking people is if you have something that you want to submit for our consideration and evaluation, um, if you could give us a little bit more time, what we want to do, because our goal our goal is to have as many co-owners as possible, and over time and subsequent rounds of finance, you know, our long-term goal is to have one million fans, um, and one million fans as shareholders, uh, that becomes a really powerful and compelling proposition because now we, we not only, um, will be well financed because the average investor is, you know, the minimum is a hundred dollars, but the average right now is ending up around $400. So imagine having $400 million to invest in projects that have a million people actively, emotionally and financially invested in those projects um you know that can be a pretty influential company in uh in hollywood and and so we want to partner with top talent but we also want to discover the next guillermo del toros and and find those people out there and so we are we do want to have a um uh, a submissions process where we can help discover we also want the co-owners to help us evaluate those projects, you know, I mean, it, it can be uh, time consuming and a hard thing to scale. Uh, but if you've got a lot of people and, um, you know, they're interested in helping to evaluate these things that can, that can help the cream rise to the top. And then, you know, we can, we can dig in, uh, further. Do you have, um, those specific, projects that you're looking at like immediately that once you reach a certain level of funding you want to pull the trigger on yeah so we have well we've announced our our first project and again the company is really designed as a shareholder you own part of the company and the company will have an ongoing slate of projects um and will also continue to to raise more capital so right now we uh we raised a million dollars in this first round actually more than a million um, we were capped at a million because of the uh, Jobs Act, the way the Jobs Act is set up. So um, with the Title III, which is the, the component of the Jobs Act that we use to raise our seed capital, we're mm-hmm. limited to a million. We had um, well over a million dollars, and so now we're trying to sort all that out. Um, but so we have, you know, we're, we're ready to engage in projects. And we've announced our first project is actually uh, something we call ICONS. It's a virtual reality project, um, and it's a virtual reality interview series. And we're starting with our first subject uh, is Stan Lee. So Stan Lee's, you know, uh, gotten involved. He loves the whole idea of Legion M and has given us a lot of uh, his support and a ringing endorsement in an L.A. Times profile that came out a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, Stan, Stan is a legend and an amazing creator of our, you know, if not the most amazing creator, one of the most amazing creators of our generation. (laughs) He's also in his nineties and, you know, he's a very, um, interesting, fun guy. And we want to create a virtual reality experiment, 
experience that is as close to you feeling like you're in the room with Stan Lee. So most virtual reality projects put you in the position of the camera while mm -hmm. you explore a space. And that's done with a dome of cameras that are pointing outward and then it's seamed together uh, on the, you know, with the computer. Yeah. In our case, we're going to take a dome of cameras pointing inward um, and we're going to shoot uh, an interview with Stan Lee uh, and then we'll place him in an environment like his office or somewhere interesting with things to explore. Um, but the idea is when you put the virtual reality um, headset on, that you have what is as close to feeling like you're in the room with Stan Lee during this intimate conversation. So with all of our subjects, we allow them to choose who's going to interview them. Stan has someone that he wants uh, to interview him, but we haven't announced it. It's a, another very cool person. Um, okay. But the whole idea is that we're going to create a library of these experiences. So for generations to come and for people all around the world to have that experience of what it's like to be in the room listening to Stan Lee talk about his creative process and his life and, you know, those things. And so we call it icons face to face. And, you know, over time, um, you know, our goal is to have a, a library that we can we can share with, you know, schools and museums and uh, libraries around the world. But it also be available through the storefronts for individual um, uh, viewing. Would it well to, to facilitate that? And forgive me, because I'm aware of the virtual reality stuff. I certainly saw a lot of it happening at Comic-Con yep. uh, this, this past July and stuff like that. Um, I don't know from a consumer standpoint what the cost is to have the, uh, the virtual reality you know, eyes and ears to, uh, to experience this. Would it come along with the package or would you be selling – I don't even know. Are they? Uh, you know, is is the info fed by disk? Is it digital oh, yeah, on, on yeah. a thumb drive? No, we you would know. be. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we're we're not trying to kind of compete with the uh, storefronts and the experiences that are out there. So this is purely just consumable content. It's a library of content that you know would go into the you know the Oculus Store and the the Vibe okay. Store, and you know we would make sure that it's compatible with all the leading. Um, you know, uh, hardware and storefront experience. I got you. Okay. Now, there may be some partners, and we've, we've had some discussions with some people about, you know, for the library and uh, museum implementations, that's sure. something that, you know, Samsung or someone would step up and they would set that up. They'd have more than just the icons library, they'd probably also have other VR experiences. But sure. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and I don't mean to. Yeah, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. If no, I, no, not at all. I, you, I, you know, I mean, we're we're excited about it because we feel like you know, VR is at the very early stages of its sort of um, evolution, and uh, we see it as a future of storytelling, um, and we we feel like you know, there's going to be a lot of content that gets developed that has a you know short lifespan, et cetera. We feel like these can have sort of lasting value um, because, you know, who wouldn't, I mean, imagine if you could get in the room with, you know, William Shakespeare or Martin Luther King. Sure. You know, I mean, 
Jack Kirby or Will yeah. Eisner for, yeah. for or comic Prince creators or that are long David gone. Bowie, you know, I mean, all the, it's Certainly. too late for all these people. And so, yeah. You know, yeah. And the, we have a, you know, we have a, a list now of, of, uh, other icons that we want to, you know, that we'll be including. Are you already in production with Stan? Have you already started shooting or is that still a, a little way away? It's scheduled. Yeah. Okay. We're partnering, uh, with a VR company that's got the rig and doing all that well is it scheduled this year forgive me but oh, yeah. he is yeah. you know he absolutely. is 92 yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, yeah. and and don't get me wrong because i have seen him within the last year or so and he's a pretty incredible 92 oh he's but you know he's unbelievable you know we we are we feel so blessed because he's really taken a liking to our company i mean he he likes Excellent. what we're doing i mean it's a you know we like to think of Legion M is more than just a company. It's a movement. And uh, for someone like Stan Lee, who really understands the fans and understands fandom, you know, he got it right away. I mean, we were introduced to him and uh, he's been so amazing for us. And he's, you know, not only his participation with icons, but also, you know, we had a small little uh, get together with some of our creative allies uh, a couple weeks ago in LA and, you know, we invited Stan, but you know, you don't really expect him to show up, you know, it's sure. Here he comes. He walks in the door to come have a beer with us and celebrate, you know, our, uh, our successful first round. And, you know, it's just, and he's just, he's like, he acts like he's 40 years old or 30 years. Oh old. yeah. I mean, he's just so cool. Well, he's still and he, yeah, he's still bursting with ideas, which is still pretty impressive. Yeah, he is. Yeah. No, it's so cool. with the with the experience of of doing this icon thing, is it an hour? Is it a half hour? I, again, because I haven't really. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. So you know, ultimately, I think we'd want to put out something that could be an hour. Right now, most of the VR experiences are you know people tap out after you know about twenty minutes. So we'll okay. probably it won't be an hour to start with. We're going to shoot an archive as much as we can. And okay. We may, you know, piece it out over over time, and we're gonna we're gonna have footage of Stan, you know, in excruciating detail that we can, you know, we can um, continue to to bring to the market, you know, later. But right now, I think most people are looking at VR you know, like a sit and experience, something like this. If it's not a game, it's more like a, uh, an interview, probably not much longer than 20 minutes. Okay. And what, and again, you know, if, unless this is something you can't disclose, but what is the budget for, for that kind of VR experience to shoot it and make it? Uh, you know, we haven't really discussed, uh, I mean, or shared the details on, on the budget, but, you know, suffice it to say that within, you know, it's within our, domain right now and we haven't raised a lot of money uh and that's one of the reasons why we think it's an interesting project we also have other projects in our slate where we'll you know we'll be getting involved but we might not be picking up the entire budget uh sure yeah okay and um so like I mean, I could see and, and you know, uh, pairing up with uh, with Seth Green and, and you know, that would bring you into his type of 
animation and, and some of the projects that he, you know, does his stop motion and things like that. Is it, are you pretty much focused on this VR realm or, um, are you branching out? Oh, we, you know, yeah, we want to be diversified. So we're, you okay. know, VR is just one, it wouldn't be the only thing we would do, you know, because we believe sure. in VR, but you know, we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket. So, you know, we're going to get into, you know, some movies, some independent movies, um, probably some, you know, horror and sci-fi um, projects. And that's why Alamo is an interesting project. I mean, they are an interesting partner. They've got the the distribution and they've got Draft House films and they're out in front of, um, you know, they're out at, at the Toronto Film Festival festival mm-hmm. and looking at, at things there. Uh, they also have great relationships with a lot of the up and coming creators. I mean, this is, um, and then we're also looking at television. Uh, so we want to have a diversified slate. Um, we want there to be variety for the, you know, the people that get involved, like when, as an investor, and by the way, I should share that mm-hmm. there, there's not a requirement to make an investment to, to join the Legion, right. To be a member of the Legion, you can still come along for the ride and, you know, um, see and experience most of uh, of what it's what's involved in the Legion without making an investment. The difference is if you make an investment and you know we create value in that stock, then you know you get that upside uh, advantage. And there might be a few things that are that we have to limit to availability just to uh, to shareholders, but. Um, as a, as a member of the Legion, I mean, part of getting involved is to really not just be a passive investor, right? I mean, we want people that are, you know, actively interested, giving us feedback. Um, we want to take them behind the scenes. We want to get, um, you know, the creators or the cast to do an online hangout with our shareholders. Um, we want to have, like, special perks when we go to, you know, um, uh, events or premieres. Uh, that we can we can do things like that with uh, with and for our members. So yeah, I mean, obviously you're you're establishing a community here. Yep. You've got your three thousand investors, and yeah, you're reaching out to get more members. Yeah, and as you say, you're going to have Google Hangouts and stuff. Do you? Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. Do you do you envision having a sort of uh, online channel? That will have kind of content, just kind of expressing, hey, this is what we're currently working on, and you know, uh, is is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, well, we already have uh, we have a private face Facebook group already set up, and we have almost three thousand people in there already. So it's uh, it's not perfectly scaling with our needs. I think we've kind of outgrown it pretty quickly, but it's it's still a very active and. Um, cool energized space where people are sharing ideas and you know we're putting out polls and we're you know informing and updating people on what we're doing and where we're going and what are the latest projects um we're in the process of launching a a more detailed forum site where we can um where we can organize the threads part of the problem with facebook is that you know it's just one long (laughs) you know, discussion board and you can't organize it into like horror, you know, reading and things like that. Sure. Um, But yeah, no, we're, you know, we were one of the things that we're talking to the, to the members about right now and in the process of kind of um, fine tuning is doing a, like a, like a book club or a reading club. 
something that we can jointly all do to help discover, you know, some content that we think might be worth pursuing um, and have the kind of collective, you know, feedback and discussion on it. Um, maybe get the author um, or creator to, to join that discussion. Um, for the right projects, we might be able to option that project um, and then, you know, try to sell it. And uh, one of the things that we anticipate is we grow. I mean, again, in just a couple of months, we have, we have over 3,000 investors, but we already have 10,000 people that are supporting us in some way. Um, and, and, you know, not just the investors. So we have the beginnings of budding of a, you know, an, a legion that can matter. And as we grow it, um, you know, we anticipate that we'll, we'll be able to, um, you know, rally that group together to, you know, move the needle on things. It could be moving the needle on a graphic novel or a comic book or, um, you know, a, uh, a, a book that we want to sort of push into, uh, the upper trajectory, get it, get it pushed into becoming a bestseller and, you know, then maybe develop it from there. What kind of literary challenge, uh, channels do you have? I could see using Alamo for, you know, a film, a film distribution. And I mean, television, obviously you can create something and, and, and pitch it to various yep. platforms and stuff. Uh, how, how do you rep though for, from a publishing standpoint? Yeah. So we wouldn't necessarily be, be like publishing books, but what we would do is like, we're already in discussions right now with some books that we like that we're looking at optioning to develop, you know, working with the author to be the production partner to develop that book into a TV series. Okay. Yeah. You see what I mean? Okay. So of course, so, yes. Yeah. I just, when you said though, you know, yeah, I just wasn't certain, you know, obviously, yeah, taking, taking a graphic novel and possibly making it into a television series or a film. Yeah. That's, that is one thing, but yeah, I just thought perhaps there was also a publishing well, I think there could be a tie-up, and you know we're interested in having those discussions because you know Meltdown's a good partner, and they're basically a comic book store and bookstore. Um, True, but uh, you know what? What we're our our optimistic or hopeful you know goal is that if we're successful in getting enough people to participate and to be activated in this group, that we might have an influence like. Uh, you know, a smaller version of what Oprah's influence has had on authors. You know, if Oprah, okay. Oprah puts something in her book club, it's like overnight becomes a bestseller, right? And sure, yeah. And so we want to have, you know, for the, you know, we want to have the Legion help us kind of curate what goes into this. And we, we would have it as a reading club because, and there may be multiple threads, but we want to do comic books, we want to do graphic novels, we want to do books, but we also want to do scripts. You know, and as as sure. we get scripts submitted to us, there may be some months where we say, hey, why don't we make this month a script month and let's pick, you know, the top scripts that we've had submitted and let's, you know, um, get those out to everybody and have a discussion on it. So you could even within your community, as it grows, as you say, you've got 10,000 reps right now, Yep. Um, you know, spread around a script uh, get an approval rating amongst those 10,000, then take that to 
you know, a potential television platform yeah, or film platform and say, or, right, or just proof develop of concept. it ourselves and sell it to Netflix. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, what, what we're doing is really organic because we're tapped into what people are interested in from day one in a very genuine way, right? Because people are, you know, people care because they're emotionally invested, but also there's a financial investment. They want to, you know, um, give that valuable feedback. And, you know, in the world of remakes and reboots and all these things that you know, <laughs> Hollywood has done, we feel like that's a real transformative thing to be able to do. You know, that if we can come to the table and create, discover and develop new material that, you know, before we got involved, maybe didn't already have a fan base. So it's not Star Wars. It's not Star Trek. But it's something new. And it's but it's not missing a fan base. It's new with a fan base. And that's the missing ingredient. You know, like I, I always like to say in Hollywood, there are really three things that matter most. You know, talent, you gotta have talent and, and create great content, right? You need talent to do that. You need money to finance projects because it's expensive to create content right. and to create high value content. And you need fans. You need an audience. And if you have all three of those things, that's a really solid recipe for success. Most studios, and this is why the studios are doing Ghostbusters and like, they sure. know those things have a fan base. They've got the money and they've got the talent so they know they can produce these things. Um, we want to we be able to add more creativity to Hollywood. We want to you know, have a benefit to the audience so that we can get out of this rut. <laughs> so, and I know you're, you're making this icon show with Stan. Do you then have the production resources that if I've got a movie idea and it, it gets vetted, uh, Legion M will be able to, at the very least produce some sort of proof of concept, you know, maybe a 20 minute kind of demonstration of the idea or something like that. Is that, is that something that you you guys are able to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the way Hollywood works these days, even the studios don't necessarily keep all those resources in house. Um, so we would have access to, you know, the, the talent and the facilities and the equipment and everything to do that. And, and what you need is the money to do it, right. To be able right, to hire right. everybody. And so, by having fans as investors, you know, we're funded, we've got fans, we've got access to talent. Um, you know, we, do, we also look at the overall ecosystem, like what Hollywood is doing today. And, you know, there are some companies like Alamo and there are some others that were targeted that we really like what they're doing. And we think that they've got a, a good, tasteful eye for you know, what, what creates compelling content and they've had some breakout mm -hmm. success, we can add value to their projects. I mean, there's really, I mean, except for Star Wars and a few other massive franchises, there's not a project where having fans invested wouldn't add value to it. You know, I you understand that. It. Sure. Yeah. So, sure. So, you know, since we've launched, I mean, we've had guys like Stanley and Guillermo del Toro and Morgan Freeman and, you know, people, heavyweights at the top of the industry are reaching out to us. They're not reaching out because they need our money. 
You know, I mean, money for these guys comes pretty freely. But having money with fans attached, that's, that gets pretty powerful. So compare, and I guess, you know, well, I'm going to ask you, like compare what Legion M does to, say, a company like uh, Circle of Confusion. And I'm sure the name might have come up for my listeners, but I'll give a little more background because – Full disclosure, uh, I've got uh, friends that work with that company. Yeah. Brian Bendis works with Circle of Confusion, and uh, they helped develop the Powers uh, television series for, for PlayStation and, and Sony. And then uh, Robert Kirkman with The Walking Dead is a Circle of Confusion client. Yep. And I know John Hickman has some things in development with them. So, so you know, that's one example that I know of that they are a company that will represent a creator – help them package their pitch and then present it to the, to the studios and stuff. So what, what does Legion M do differently? And again, there's the fan base. Uh, and, and I guess, um, as a, and just as a skeptical question, not, you know, without any judgment, yep. you know, it's like, well, you know, yeah. Like if you are, if your fan base is your investors and your partners, that's a skewed fan base. And again, forgive the comparison because yep. this is obviously, no, right. I don't, I, well, cause I'm going to say, don't like, say you know, well, I'm not going to say I, – I was going to say Dianetics stays on the bestseller list because, you know, the Scientology people back it and go out and buy it. Yeah. So, again, and forgive me. I You know, it's just – it's an easy comparison. And when, honestly, what well, I'm asking you is – You know, it's interesting. You know where I'm coming from. Massively successful if people start, um, start <laughs> relating Legion M to a, like a religion or a cult. <laughs> I don't mean, I, and I don't mean that in the no, negative. No, no, no. Do you get where I, I'm coming from, though? Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Circle Confusion. I mean, we have a lot of respect for those guys. We're aware of them. You know, there are companies out there like them and A24, and there are good companies out there that are packaging and developing content. We don't necessarily see ourselves as competitive to them. You know, like the Stupid Buddy Studios guys, they're, they're packaging and developing their own pilots and selling content in. But they're not, we're not competitive to them either. We can add value anywhere. You know, the, there's literally no one that we compete with right now because there's nobody else has done this before. Nobody else has, has actually gone out. I mean, part of it is that you couldn't do it. It just wasn't possible because the SEC uh, wouldn't right. allow it. Wouldn't allow crowdfunding in, in this way. Yeah, they wouldn't allow you to, to sell shares. You can do the Kickstarter in Indiegogo, which, like I said earlier, we think that's fantastic, but it's it's not enough, you know. And I think it's great for for certain things, but if you want to develop a movie, for example, an independent movie, the problem with Kickstarter and Indiegogo is nine times out of ten, you're pre-selling the DVD as one of your ways to raise capital. Right. You put sure. in a hundred bucks. You get the DVD, you get a sweatshirt, you get a coffee mug, right? Okay. Uh-huh. People feel like that's, you know, that's great. The challenge is for the filmmaker, they've gone straight to DVD. If they want to go to Alamo or go, you know, to get theatrical distribution, they've already monetized the content with the fans, with a huge number of the fans. People that are investing in Legion M, they own shares in Legion M. They don't... You know, I own shares in Apple. I don't get free iPhones. <laughs> and so so for us, it's actually, it's a huge differentiator because we're not only diluting the monetization opportunity of that project, we're actually adding great value to it. Because 
if you have a legion of investors that have, you know, that have been involved during the production of this movie and have gone behind the scenes and listened to the director talk about, you know, why he made choices or maybe even gave some feedback on, you know, certain components of it and wardrobe or whatever, you know, one of our goals is to encourage any director or creator that we work with to access the Legion and ask some questions. You know, I put a poll out today, you know, a few hours ago, I've already got like hundreds of people have responded to it. And, cool. And, you know, they're responding in a genuine way because they care and, and they're informed and, you know, interesting people. So, you know, as, as we, you know, bring these things to market, I think our ability to monetize it hasn't been diluted. In fact, it's been, you know, increased. And so when we take that to Netflix or a distributor or anyone else, everyone that we would talk to in the ecosystem would see the value of having, oh, you have 10,000 people that have already sort of, you know, are already engaged and, and chomping at the bit to see this thing. That's helpful. Sure. No, I hear you, man. I, no, I get it. And, and also, yeah, that's the thing is I, I think – 10,000 dedicated people is a, is a significant number and can, and it's certainly a significant starting number. Yeah. You obviously want to grow. Started. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, we'll, we, it'll take us a few years, I think, you know, to get to a million, but we'll have, you know, influence and, uh, and be able to do cool things, you know, well before that. When well, do like, you envision, you know, John, one, one thing to just point out, sure. case in point was Stanley, right? You know, I'm sure a lot of people have approached him about doing a virtual reality interview. Maybe, maybe not, but he gets a lot of invitations for interviews. Oh, yeah. And but the difference is, like, when we approach him, we're not approaching him as Sony or Oculus or some corporation. We're approaching him as a legion of his fans that want to want to you know, have this, have access to this interview. And that was really compelling. And I think went into his decision of, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even really a sales process. It was, yeah, that's great. I'm in. That's terrific. When do you, when do you think the icon production with Stan might, might be finished? So, you know, we're, we're scheduled uh, now. So I think we'd, we'd expect to have it out by the end of the year. I mean, our goal would be to have it out in time for the holidays. Oh, fantastic. Wow. That quickly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a pretty straightforward thing. I mean, it does take some investment. There's technology involved. There's time involved. It's also very costly just to store the data i mean it's an incredible amount of data when you i'm sure you know 40 plus 4k cameras all yeah exactly simultaneously it's yeah it's a lot of memory wow well that's interesting okay well so well that's that's ambitious and i think that's that's great because yeah i think that would be the next question and when would the next level or of uh the ability to invest come up uh yeah so we'll be opening that also before the end of the year um oh. uh, the, the way the Jobs Act is broken out is there are a couple components. There's uh, the Title III. That's what we did to raise our seed capital. Um, so that with that specific fundraising um, mechanism, you're limited to $1 million. Um, and then they have something called a Reg A, 
Reg A is a little more scrutiny, so we have to do a little more um, documentation and um, uh, have a few more um, kind of legal partners involved and a little bit more uh, diligence on the by the auditors, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But with Reg A, we can raise up to $50 million. So we'll open a Reg A plus round sometime uh, between now and the end of the year. You know, it takes several weeks. Of, or actually, takes a couple of months to put these things together and get them approved by the SEC. So we're in that process right now. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I mean, oh, I guess. And sorry, just to, um, on the. Yeah, no, please. You got the information, man. I'm. I'm just asking the questions. It's, it's fifty million <laughs> per year. So. You know, we'll get out. We'll do the Reg A between now and the end of the year, and then next year we can open up another one and do, you know, another fifty million if it's you know if it's going that well. Sure. No, that's fantastic. So um, I'm just trying to think. So how would people be able to see your product if they didn't have access to the full virtual reality? version of it you know oh, I, i'm just yeah, trying to think cardboard or something like that we'd probably put it into those storefronts as well okay okay because yeah i'm wondering obviously i mean I, I think whenever your first project appears then people will really be able to judge uh even more so yep the yeah. level of involvement as i'm sure you you feel the same way oh, probably. yeah yeah and like i said you know icons is just the first project we'll be announcing others as well Next next year, would you be taking um, this Stanley project on the road and maybe going to conventions with it or anything? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good idea actually. It was something that we talked about um, doing at some of the cons, you know, where Stan's involved and maybe you know uh, having having something set up there. But we also want to engage the you know the audience um, to help us. You know, we already have a thread going in our Facebook group about, you know, who should be the, the next icon that we okay. do, you know. So we've got, you know, a few people on our list already um, that we're in discussions with and that are favorable. And then, but you know, we our goal over time is to have, you know, many of these. Sure. Excuse me. There are many episodes. Okay. Because I, uh, yeah, I, I guess... Um, yeah, I'm just interested in terms of how you're going to get it to the people because, again, I think you're going to have to demonstrate in some fashion what you're doing to to really ignite some some interest. And that not only just in the VR thing, beyond uh, so beyond the icon thing, are you going to go to uh, conventions? Because you're obviously your your intent is to entice you know people of the geek culture. Yep. So you know you go you go where the people are. I guess you know if you're you know if you're, if you, if you got something new for ice fishing, you're going to go up to the shanties, <laughs> in Minnesota, and exactly squat down with them and go, hey, check out this, you know. And so yeah, so what what kind of plan do you have in terms of promoting it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've spent um, you know we've been at all uh, a lot of, not all because there are so many cons now. Sure. Uh, but we were just recently, most recently at Palm Springs. We were down there with Stan and his team, and uh, oh, cool! We had our we have a Legion M um, Cadillac, our uh, '59 <laughs> Cadillac that we call Maryland. Uh, so what kind of Cadillac was it? It's a '59 Cadillac, the one fantastic uh, big sure. wings, and it's beautiful car, <laughs> and 
that's our company car. So we had that down there. We had a panel, a very, very good panel, and we live streamed the panel. We had a lot of good feedback on it. Uh, oh, is that posted anywhere? Do you have it up on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on YouTube? Right yeah, I think that's up on um, up on Facebook. Um, should be on our just regular Legion M Facebook page. But if you want, I'll I'll follow. I'll find a link and send it over to you. Okay, because yeah, I mean, is that? But again, is that a closed Facebook group or is that a, an open Facebook group? Oh uh, well, we have both. I mean, we have our okay. M page, and then we have the private group. But you're welcome to join the private group. Like I said, you don't need to be an investor to participate. I mean, you just sure to be interested. I mean, you don't even need to be informed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just come in and have fun. You can be a fly on the wall, or you can, you know, get involved in the discussion. Uh, Jeff Anderson, my co-founder, he was at um, uh, Wizard World in Chicago. Uh, a, a, you know, about a month ago, I guess that was now. And then uh, we were down in San Diego, and a few of us, we haven't decided who will be at um, New York Comic Con, and we know Stan's doing a huge thing there. Um, so it's uh, there's a lot going on. I mean, we can't keep up with all the cons, but we try to sure. get out there. And, you know, now with, that we have this kind of uh, membership, we have a lot of people that are willing to go to a con and, you know, bring some of our materials and wear buttons and talk to people about it, which has been great. That's cool. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed you guys in San Diego. Um, yeah, I mean, San Diego is so big, so we didn't have a huge presence there. But we did uh, – we, we sponsored a cosplay party. We had a um, setup, uh, you know, off uh, outside the con in one of the restaurants there. And we um, we co-hosted the, uh, the Rave of Thrones with um, – with Hodor, I don't know if you heard about. <laughs> yeah, I did. yeah, that was our That's cool. that was our party. So yeah, we had a good time there. Christian Narn, who plays Hodor, is a friend of ours, and and also oh, that's awesome. Also a shareholder. Very cool. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's great. That's excellent, man. And yeah, I didn't mean I did not make Wizard Chicago this year. I had uh, I had to cancel and uh, not show up. So I'm sorry, I missed you there. Really? Yeah. If we'd known, we could have uh, connected you with Jeff. But next time, and I, so is, I, Jeff, I, is Jeff your Chicago is Jeff your Chicago point person? Oh no no Jeff uh, Jeff's out here in California with me and is oh, okay. I he wanted to go to the go to I mean any con in Chicago is usually something I would jump at the chance to do I forget <laughs> but we had another commitment I had a family commitment that weekend that I could not you too and there you go yeah there you go <laughs> see you and me both <laughs> and, no I understand yeah well. Well, and okay. Well, then I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll try and seek you guys out too in New York. I'll be there in New York. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we should hook up there. And you know, I get back to Chicago fairly often. So one of these days. Oh, please. I'll ping you. In. Yeah, please. If you, you know, yeah, if you can make time and stuff. No, I'd, I'd love to hear more. And, uh, and honestly, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love to welcome you back when uh, this first icon with uh, Stan Lee is, is you know, ready to promote. Yeah. Perfect. And and get a get a Legion M update. No, I, I wish honestly. Uh, this sounds this sounds really interesting, and I think uh, fans would be interested. I, they see the success of a lot of franchises out there, and likely think, "Oh God, if I knew the right person at the right time to connect with, and God wouldn't it have been great to invest in a Star Wars or a Star Trek or some of these other franchises that are enjoying such success decades later." Yep. And you know, I mean, no, it's. Uh, it's a very interesting time in media, and I think also in citizen media. And I count my podcast as being part of that. Absolutely, movement. yes. So, so yeah. I mean, no. I hey, man, I get it, <laughs> and I get I get the appeal, and I get uh, the potential. 
So uh, it'll it'll be fun to watch what you guys do grow. And it sounds like you got a great first uh, project. So yeah, you yeah, know, we're, we're we're grateful yeah. for the support that we've had coming out of the gate so strong, and you know, with the uh, the active community that we have. So yeah, That's so check out their. I was oh, going to say, check out your Facebook page. Oh no, please! If there's more, I don't want to. No, I don't want to no, cut no, you off. No, no, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, uh, if if you want to learn more about Legion M, you can go to thelegionm.com, and there's an overview and uh, the uh, the fact page that'll give you more information of questions you likely have. And uh, just as Paul has said, if you if you want to be a free member, that is open to you. And you can stay informed. And then, of course, there's just the Facebook page. And is that just if you search for Legion M under Facebook, they'll, they'll find you? Yeah, I think it's Legion M Official is our uh, Facebook page. So you should be able cool. to find it. Excellent. Well, I will see you in a few weeks in uh, in New York. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing more about uh, the, the movement and uh, and also Icon. I think it's a great first project. And especially in the, in the virtual reality realm where I think uh, – it's a it's a frontier out there, so I I don't blame you. I think that's an excellent first choice for a, a for a place to put your first project and everything. So interesting stuff, Paul Scanlon. I, I appreciate the conversation and wish you luck and look forward to another conversation. Likewise, well, thank you, John. We appreciate your support. Happy to come on again, Paul Scanlon, and uh, go online and uh, check out more information about Legion M. Their website is thelegionm.com. Well, that'll do it for today's Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Check out books at great prices like uh, Punisher War Journal by Carl Potts and Jim Lee. There's a classic run. 50% off. It's just $19.99. You can get Daredevil, Back in Black, uh, Trade Paperback Volume 2, Supersonic, that's Charles Soule's run, and uh, it's at a great price, 42% off, $9.27. Suicide Squad, uh, Most Wanted, the Katana trade paperback. Mike Barr and Diogenes Nieves, uh, Carrie Nord cover, by the way. Great stuff uh, from Mike Barr, uh, the original arts outsider writer. Uh, 45% off for this book, $9.34. You can get the massive Ninth Wave, the library edition hardcover, collecting issues one through six. That's Brian Wood and Gary Brown, 42% off, $14.49. You can get Harrow County, Trade Paperback Volume 3, Snake Doctor from Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook, and that is 42% off, $8.69. I've mentioned it before, the Omega Man, the full run, is waiting for you. Trade Paperback from Barnaby Bagenda and Tom King, and I always screw up Barnaby's name, 45% off, $13.74. All waiting for you from InStockTrades.com. Check it out. The deals are waiting at great prices. Great books. InStockTrades.com. All right. Thanks for listening today. Uh, There are more episodes coming up very shortly because, uh, like I said, uh, I've just got tons of uh, great guests that are on the way. Uh, People from Cincy Comic Con like uh, Brian Azzarello, Eduardo Riso, Dave Johnson, uh, Dennis Hopeless, uh, Jason Latour, Jim Rugg, Ryan Brown. Um, uh, just just ter- terrific. Uh, so Sarah Dyer is with us, and uh, it's it's excellent. And I'm very happy to bring you a lot of this conversation. Uh, great panels from Cincy Comic Con, in addition to uh, amazing Skype and phone interviews that I've been doing of late. How about Jock? Jock is coming to Word Balloon. 
uh, along with Will Dennis. It was a tremendous conversation. I literally just recorded it today. And uh, I've got more coming uh, from others. I just don't want to spoil anything until they're already in the bag. Rick Remender's in the bag, and that means it's already done. That doesn't mean he's boozing. Brian Bendis is in the bag. That means it's already done. It doesn't mean he's boozing. So uh, there's some big names for you on the way uh, in the next couple days. So it's going to be a fun September, a very fun early October here at Warbaloon.com. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Uh, thanks a lot for your attention, as always. And looking forward to talking to you again. Uh, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2016.